filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Guys, I don't know, uh, well, I do sort of know when you guys will deal with this. It's not anytime soon for you, but when you turn 35, this is what will happen to you. Um, in my experience, uh, I'm going to apply this to everyone's life because this is surely what happens to everyone. Um, you'll go out and get some new running shoes because you want to get in better shape because you're 35 and you're not in that great of shape. Um, and you'll try them on and it'll be like, wow, these, I really like these and they're at a good price and all that. And you'll wear them around and you'll determine that this is going to be great. I just need to find a good training plan to get myself started to build a little bit of a, a base before I start getting a little more aggressive, uh, because I have some experience in the past at, at being in decent shape from playing soccer a lot. Um, so you'll get all that stuff in mind. And then the weekend will go and everything will be great. And then on Monday, you'll do something that will hurt your back and uh, you will be barely able to do anything. And you'll have to look at the shoes and think, I don't know when I'm going to get to use the, you because I don't know when I'm going to be able to get this back thing straightened out. And that's what happens when you turn 35. Your body betrays you and your your uh, your your good, healthy plans are ruined immediately. As soon as you get them and you have just enough time to really think this is going to be a good thing in my life, your body will say no. And then... You'll spend all day laying in bed. What and what kind of shoes are they? There are uh, they're some Nike running shoes. They I thought they were orange when I ordered them online. They're orange with black, and they're actually red with black. Um, but the red with black looks just as good as the orange, so I didn't really have any issues. It's just one of those things like you order a pair of shoes online, and they look one color on the photo, and then you get them in real life, and you're like, oh, they don't look quite the same. But still good. I know, I know many people like Nike running shoes. They are abominable for my feet. And our disasters. Uh, do you so. have hobbit feet, Ben? Uh, no, I have uh, basically the opposite of hobbit feet. Whereas hobbit feet are <laughs> short and wide, okay. my feet are long and thin. Okay. Also presumably wear, hairless. Uh, yeah, my feet are not very hairy at all, no. Okay. I, I used to wear Asics a lot, but um, these were a good deal and well-recommended, so... Yeah, I, I wear I wear I typically wear Brooks. Sometimes okay. I try to get away from Brooks because I'm never super satisfied with them, but nothing else has proven to be as good. So Brooks is where I'm at. Good talk, guys. Good if talk. Brooks or Nike would like to send us some money, uh, please contact yeah. us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Just just to broaden the pool, I, I what what do I wear? I've worn New Balance in the past. I've worn Nike in the past. I like New Balance the most. Rose Lavelle's own New Balance. Yeah. Oh, well, moving on. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Aging Ungracefully podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and old man Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and soccer more broadly. The rest of us here are younger than Jason as well. It's true. Yep. (laughs) We haven't turned 35 quite yet, even if... Um, our lifestyles are older than his because kids. Mm, I, well, even with kids, I don't. Th- I think he's gone straight to like childless grandfather. 
childless. I mean, well, the thing is, there's nothing really ben, to ben, do ben, ben. Oh, in between. On, I just want a quick genetics lesson. Childless <laughs> yes. grandfather. Right. How does it's the impossible one become dream. a grandfather without <laughs> first having a child? You're concentrating on the semantics of the English language, whereas English is a living language, and you know exactly what I mean. You are just choosing to no, focus on the ben, pedantry I don't know of what it. you mean. Words, you do know what I mean. And no, childless grandfather is a contradiction in terms. And I, <laughs> I've got to say, English is a living language does not bridge the gap on, on this, Ben. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know where you're going. It just doesn't get there. See? Um, you know where I'm going. But no, what I would say, though, is that there's nothing in between. Like, if you don't have children and by the time you're mid thirties, there's not really much of a, like a lifestyle that isn't resembling uh, a childless grandfather. Well, I was going to say an empty nester or something like that. Um, There's not really like you just do whatever the hell it is that you want to do more or less. And your body fails you and prevents you from doing other stuff from time to time. And that's pretty much it until you're dead. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Somehow this got more existential than I had planned for. Um, Maybe it's because DC United played a really weird two-to-two draw that got Jason contemplating things and perfect storm of philosophical introspection. Uh, We'll talk about that game, hopefully not get too introspective along the way. We're also going to talk to our friend Rob Usry from Dirty South Soccer about DC United's first ever trip to Atlanta to face the Interlopers United. That game is Sunday, 3 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Before we do anything, though, Jason, you're the recent birthday boy. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I ran out of beer um, over the weekend, so I ended up having to think of some sort of cocktail tonight. I didn't really want um, like a a neat drink or something on the rocks. I wanted something that was mixed with something else, so... uh, Due to lack of many other options, I did have plenty of ginger beer, so I made myself a Moscow Mule. Traditional, regular old Moscow Mule with nice. um, Tito's vodka and Gosling's ginger beer. And a lime. A lime in there? The lime, yeah. did not have a, the lime did not have a brand name. Just a lime. I mean, as we've discussed in the past, uh, whole limes are, in fact, top-shelf limes. Yes, it's, it was a top-shelf lime then. I, I chopped it with a knife myself. Excellent. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I also don't have any beer. I, I don't know if there's a national beer shortage or something. There isn't. But, uh, yeah, I just went with a bourbon and ginger ale. Okay. Because that's what I had at hand. It's easy. It's nice. It's pleasant. Apparently there's a ginger theme I was not told about before the show. Mm. Thanks, guys. This is... You know, when we exchange pre-show emails, these are the kind of notes that, that should Ed, make, the, make it what, to everybody. What Adam's building up to is that he's actually just, instead of a drink, he's just chewing on a knob of garlic. <laughs> I mean, a uh, ginger. Actually, I know what, I think I can tell what Adam is drinking based on our video chat. And what is that, Ben? We're going to play a, a game that's not very interesting to our listeners. No, no, it's not. But is it Bell's Oberon? <laughs> it is Bell's Oberon. Uh, I do have beer. I am not out of beer. I am drinking Bell's Oberon wheat ale. It's tasty. It's good. It's easy. It's what I have. Bells doesn't make any bad beer as far as I can tell. They don't. They are they are a a top quality brewer and I know they're in Michigan, but if they want to sponsor the show, we would take their money as well. Yep. Yeah, there's no MLS team in Michigan. It's true. And that also doesn't matter. Yes. (laughs) Well yeah. We're hungry for sponsorship uh from from any state. Well, 
I would have to think about taking sponsorship from New Jersey. I would uh, really have to think on it. What if it's a New Jersey business that specifically dislikes the Red Bulls? I what would have to think less about it. What if it's a competing okay. energy drink company? I'm not big on energy drinks, but I again, I that one I would I'm probably not, not have to think that much about. I'm not big of most of the people we're asking for sponsorship from, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> most of I mean, our sponsorship requests have been companies that I could take or leave. Um Energy drinks. That's... I don't drink energy drinks, but if someone wants to sponsor it, I'll pretend. All right, that's true. We don't have to actually drink it, so. And our our future sure, listeners can not... just assume we're not lying to them when we say this is a very good energy drink that you should drink. <laughs> Let's talk about this weird, weird soccer game. It was weird before kickoff, even when the lineups came out. It got really weird. Uh, but a de- mm-hmm. depleted DC United team held on for a. What I would say is a deserved two to two draw at New England. Uh, no Lucho Acosta, no Nick DeLeon, no Patrick Mullins, no Patrick Niarco. Um, the injuries looked no, before Jose the game. Ortiz. The injuries looked before the game like they were going to be um, the big story on this one. Jason, I know you had some thoughts on uh, on the nature of these injuries. Yeah. Um... It's one of those things like we've had a, a few times in the past few years where injuries have kind of piled up and um, United stuck in a situ- situation where it seems like they're getting the unpreventable injury. These aren't this isn't like Orlando in their list of like seven hamstring strains. Um, you do have a couple, but we saw, everyone saw one of them with Patrick Mullins was just a weird bad stride. Essentially, it wasn't a, uh, you know, bad training policy overuse thing. He just took a weird step and fell strangely. And sometimes that happens to you just like sometimes you turn an ankle or um, what have you. Um, But some of the other ones are that kind of difficult to prevent injury. Like Steve Birnbaum getting a concussion is impossible to prevent in that situation. Um, Sebastian Latou, who now reportedly has a, um, from this game picked up an elbow injury that requires an MRI. That was from a strange fall um, that you can't do anything about that. It's just, um, you know, Rob Vincent having a the meniscus setback is probably something that's unavoidable because it's not a muscle pull. It's not bad treatment. It's just, um, you know, a joint injury, something you fell wrong or you got tackled badly and, and this kind of thing happens. Um, so they're stuck in that genuinely sort of unfortunate uh, situation right now where people just keep getting hurt. Um, the Acosta thing is an ankle uh, that I guess during the game, I believe, uh, the broadcast team was saying is is an ongoing thing. It might be left over from the injury that kept him out of the first couple games, which was an ankle problem. Um, and that, again, was just an awkward tackle that his ankle twisted badly. And, you know, there's not really a uh, thing you can do to prevent that. It's just bad luck uh, that happens. Except contract the union. Well, that or like never playing soccer, I guess, is your other option is is to prevent injuries like that. You just don't play. But if you're a soccer team, you have to play sometimes. It's sort of the deal. And as, no, we but learned, we can, as we you learn, Jason, even not playing soccer can lead to injuries. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like my injury is at least partially a result of not necessarily being in the same physical shape as a professional athlete. I think that one might be on me uh, for not not for my training uh, regimen, but my lack thereof. <laughs> it's an underuse injury. Yes. <laughs> uh, despite the depleted lineup, DC United did manage to step up the first goal. For United um, to tie the game in the first half was from Jared Jeffrey, a volleyed uh, kind of half clearance that he put back into the net. Uh, 
good to see him step up. Good to see him uh, get on the score sheet. United were down, however, because of uh, a Lee Wynn header uh, on a counterattack. Unlike some of these injuries, this looked entirely preventable. Um, Lee Wynn managed to find acres and acres of space as Lloyd Sam stopped tracking him, thinking he was passing him off to Kofi Opare, who was kind of ball watching and marking space on a counter instead of finding a man and making sure that man didn't score a goal. And that man would have been Lee Wynn and the goal scorer was Lee Wynn. Not a great moment for Kofi Opari, who otherwise I thought had his best game in more than a year. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of a close game in more than a year. No. Yeah, that's um, true. But last year right, he's his, his best game in, in, in yeah, his, his best game in a while. I'll say that. You know, that, that counter. Yeah. Was I mean, it, Go ahead, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it was just like you broke down, uh, there was there were two people who were supposed to mark him. Lloyd Sam stopped his run because he thought Kofi Apare had him, and Kofi Apare didn't have him, even though everyone else was already marked except for Lee Wynn, and Kofi Apare was marking space when he probably should have checked back. But yeah, so it's it's on. I think it's on it's on both of them combined because. It's on Lloyd Sam as a veteran to make sure that he passes that person off to somebody who actually knows that he's supposed to have him. But I feel like even absent that, uh, Kofi Apari should have looked over his shoulder and seen the the run that Lee Wynn was making. See, I don't know that I would necessarily put as much on Sam in this one because the counterattack broke out in such a way that he was always behind. He was always like 20 yards behind the play um, because he was trying to get into attacking position. United had a turnover and the ball broke out on the other side of the field. Um, so I think what we. Yeah, but all, all I saw from him was just like kind of arm gestures and not necessarily like. Well, shouts. I mean, yells. if you're so, running, you can't well, was, really give a full body shout while he um, was. You can't stop playing your feet and scream. Um, but the point is that he, he communicated and, and it looked like to me that Opare heard him and looked over his shoulder and registered that Wynn was there and then did not do anything else beyond that. He just looked and was like, oh, there you are. Um, and I guess, I guess Opare's plan was that because the cross, he did almost intercept the cross and I guess he, he looked over and, but out of, more out of like luck more than, I mean, he just, you know, at that point he probably decided I'm not going to be able to get to win in I'm not going to backpedal and get to win in time to do anything there. So I just have to hope that the ball hits me basically. Um, but I would argue that that's a bad decision because I think he did have time to get to Lee win and get close enough yes. where at the very least to be close enough to put a body on him. And in that size matchup, there's no way win scores on that header. If he's got Kofi Opari leaning on him. Um, so I, I think that, that bothers me, but I guess the ease with which the revs broke out also bothers me. It was it was a poor defensive transition from the entire team um, because it's not just that Win was open. Kai Kamara received the ball in a ton of space. Um, there was no one to close down the after the initial turnover. There's no one to close the ball down and slow the attack down. Um, and it's not like the revs sent six or seven guys forward in this counter. Uh, it was three or four, and United had five or six guys in the region where they could have done something about it, but they just weren't thinking fast enough. And they didn't close down the first ball. They didn't close down Kamara. They didn't close down win. Um, so as much as it's like, it's a bad look for Opare, um, 
maybe or maybe not when, you know, we debate whether it's bad on Sam, I think it can be said definitely that it's the whole team uh, failure throughout midfield and defense to slow this thing down that really cost them a goal in the fourth, was it the fifth minute, um, which is yeah, starting to become minute. a trend. And actually that brings me to, that's exactly what I wanted to say. This is now three straight halves where United has given up a goal in the first six minutes or so of of a half. It happened in the second half. Uh, last week it happened in both halves this week and it's a, it's a problem. It's got to stop. Um, and to set these goals. I mean, this is something that's, yeah, exactly. That was the other, the other trend, uh, set piece goals each of the last two weeks. So this is, um, a couple of things where you just, you, you need to be locked in at the beginning and you need to keep your marks. This was, this was a little bit different of a set piece. It was, uh, it was a ball past the mm-hmm. the back post that got headed back in and Sean Franklin just got beaten to a spot to the spot just right. barely by which, Juan Agudelo who kind of overpowered which him. Which was but only it's, just it's the case of our fullbacks being it, being overpowered. Yeah, and, and that was only not it was only ruled an Agudelo goal today, um in this afternoon. We're recording on Tuesday. Um up until now it was actually being listed as a Franklin own goal because it was there, there was only one replay that even showed anything, and you had to know. Um, you basically saw like a tiny sliver of Agudelo's toe, and you had to know which color shoe he was wearing versus Franklin, because there's another. Um, I can't remember which player it is, but there's somebody in the way of all of the rest of it for you to tell who scored the goal. Um, but yeah, it's it's not ideal at all for United to start giving up set piece goals because, quite frankly, they don't have enough going forward to be a team that's bad on set piece defense. On the better side of things uh, was Ian Harks, uh, who had the, the touch pass to set up Lloyd Sam to make a, a brilliant uh, entry pass for the uh, Sebastian Latou's goal to take the lead late in the first half. But Harks also hit the woodwork a couple of times, once on a set-piece header, once on a play not that dissimilar from Jared Jeffrey's goal. Um it was, I, I think it's fair to say he might've been the best player on the field over the course of 90 minutes. I, Jason, what I, did I was going to go of, with Lloyd Sam who Harks's had every single key pass that United created on the day. That's um, true. But yeah, that's, that's but I will say if Harks hits the back of the net with one of those two chances, if he, if he manages a goal instead of hitting the woodwork twice, then maybe I change my mind um, because he had a, he had a pretty good game um, uh, on a day where, you know, United wasn't that great overall. Um, in terms of possession, which is where he's supposed to be at his strongest. Um, but he's still having to, um, in this game, carry more of a load than normal because Lucho's not on the field for the most of the game. Um, he's still having to track back a little bit to support Jared Jeffrey, though not as much today or not as much in the, as the game in question because um, Marcelo was in the game. Um, United's still doing that thing where the number eight role is having to drop off uh, sometimes to support Jeffrey, which is maybe a, a reason I'm not necessarily enamored with sticking with Jeffrey as a starter there. Um, but in this case, with the injuries involved uh, on the day, there's not really much of a choice. Um, but yeah, uh, Harks, I thought, had a lot a, a lot of uh, good moments uh, in terms of his positioning defensively. Um, he picked up some, he drew some fouls. Um, obviously, the pass you mentioned really sets up uh, Lloyd Sam to set up the goal, which is an important, it was an important pass because it wasn't an obvious pass. Um, the way he was looking, his body was sort of shifted towards the other side, but he knew enough to know that Sam was going to be out there 
and make a pass that was it kind of it kind of caught New England off guard. I think I don't think they were expecting him to spread the ball like that. Um, so yeah, overall, um, uh, certainly I think better than his last performance. I thought um, I thought the last couple games for him have been maybe a little people have been maybe a little overly kind towards how he how well he played. I think in this game it would be more accurate, um, even though you know his passing percentage was only about seventy percent, but on a day where you know. He was he was tasked as right. the most creative. And also, and also we're talking about New England, this was the last game on New England's already bad turf before they replace it. So this turf was already declared um it's bad as a starting point, and then it's been declared like completely used up and depleted. And this was the final game on it. And you could tell that this was a game on bad turf. This played at mm-hmm. at all times like a bad turf game that we see most of the time you visit New England. Um Maybe there will be a couple games now before the Patriots get at it and ruin it again, as as they do, because that's what I mean. The way football is designed, it is designed to destroy the ground underneath it. Um, but yeah, right. They should have all summer. Yeah, I mean they'll have they'll have a few home games that aren't so terrible. Um, but given, but I mean, what preseason starts in yeah, August? But anyway, um, I think Harks was overall pretty good, and, and like I said. Um, you know he's got to there. There's got to be some good luck for him at some point with the the near misses he's had. I mean he could have he could be DC's leading scorer with a little bit of luck, um, which is not what we. Yeah, I think what, what impressed me most. Doing, but you know he's adding that to his game, which is great. No. Right. Uh, what impressed me the most about this game from from Harks is the kind of hesitancy we we see with him on the ball earlier in the year is was gone he was decisive he was um not worried about making a mistake you could tell he he wasn't thinking he was just playing the game and you saw that on the shots i think you saw it on the pass to to lloyd sam to set up latou's goal and in earlier games especially in the final third harks would get on the ball and he'd kind of look for a pass first and he he would be going through reads and you could kind of see the gears turning and now i don't know if it, if you can say the game is definitely slowing down for him but he's more up to speed and he was doing pretty well when he was still obviously growing into the role now i think um he's catching up to the the learning curve a little bit more and it, it should lead to good things and i think uh i think he'll get on the score sheet sooner than later knock wood but I think that there's a good chance for that. Jason, you mentioned Jeffrey playing in the number six spot. Marcelo was playing kind of the, the, the defensive number eight. eight, I guess in this one. Yeah. Defensive eight. Uh, you can't call it a seven cause that's a different position altogether. Soccer numbers are weird, man. Uh, I was a little surprised to see. Yeah. Six and a half. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Jeffrey as the the deeper of the two, given his performance against uh, the Red Bulls wasn't the best. Uh, I, I guess knowing that Chris Durkin isn't going to be starting and taking over that that for the infinite future uh, anytime soon, because he's you know winning games and scoring goals for the U.S. Under Seventeen National Team right now. Who do you think is going to to own that spot going forward, especially if if Lucho comes back healthy, Harks is writing his name in ink on this on the team sheet. Which one of those two really is going to own that that number six until, you know, we can find someone to own it a little uh, longer term? 
I'm going to, I will, I will stop short of saying anyone's going to be owning. I think there might be some renting going on. Um, but, uh, that's be. No one has a down payment saved up. Mortgage rates right. aren't quite um, as friendly. Because I feel like the answer to this is Jeffrey. Um, can't afford this DC market. Yeah, that's, I mean, sure. I mean, you've seen the salaries came out today. Um, I mean, you, they can, <laughs> but it's not a good idea long term because, you know, you're earning potential stops when you're in your mid thirties and you have to find a new job. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, you know, if, if, if Olson wasn't going to go with Jeffrey for the time being, he wouldn't have gotten the last two road starts. Um, so that's, who's going to start at, against Atlanta. I assume even with Lucho, I, I assume Lucho is going to be back playing in this one, which I, I'm going to go out on a very, a very, uh, sturdy limb and say that Marcelo loses his spot as a result. Um, but I'm not sold on that. I feel like Marcelo might still be the better idea, even with the mobility issue, even with the fact that he's been caught gambling, trying to jump forward and um, make tackles where caution might have helped him a little more. Um, even with all that, um, the possession side of the game is suffering with Jeffrey back there. Um, he's just not as good on the ball. He's not as comfortable with it. His first touch isn't as good. And teams know it, and United still hasn't figured out a way to play out of the back without connecting to the number six. Um, I think that's going to be a trade-off that we're going to see. Maybe, you know, if Jeffrey plays a not-so-great game, we'll probably see Olsen switch them. And then Marcelo will probably have a game that doesn't go very well, and they'll switch again. Um, that's probably going to be the case for a while, um, unless they make some sort of uh, summer window signing. Or uh, they still do technically have, like a few days left in the uh, primary window because MLS's primary window is very long. Um, it's a very long time. Uh, normally it's supposed to be a month and MLS's is like almost two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, I thought the primary window a month into the season, it includes a no, lot of the it goes until May. as well. It goes into the, the first few days of May. So you've yeah. got two. Yeah. I think, I think MLS just officially opens there. Yeah, so you, get, you can sign a guy. He's just not legally playing for you in any games. Um, and that's how it, right. right? I mean, it's the same. It's the same as the European primary windows. Theirs just happen to be in the summer, but they're open for like yeah. But they it closes much closer to the start of their season than ours does. But anyway, yeah. Until that, sure. and that, that's true. We're not. Get, we're most likely not seeing anything when the primary window closes uh, in whatever it is. I think it's like two weeks from now. MLS deadline day is not. No, like you know, teams don't want to day. be signing a guy two months into the season unless they absolutely have no choice. They don't want to do that. Um, so until the summer or the late summer, unless you're Minnesota, yeah, if you're Minnesota, you gotta, you don't have a choice. You've got to do something else. Um, but uh, until that, until the summer window opens, this is the this is the life that United is stuck with, um, with two less than ideal options. And until one of those guys steps up and claims the job, or if Durkin comes back from the uh, youth team and and just makes it impossible to leave him out that that's pretty much how it's going to go. Um, there's not really a mystery to it. It's just United entered the season with questions at defensive midfield, and those questions are unresolved, and they're probably not going to be resolved. Um, and the question becomes, like, will they spend some TAM there or for a winger or for a center back? Because you can make a really good argument for all three of those, but I don't think you have enough TAM to do all three, yes. to take care of all three. Ben, between... Jeffrey and Marcelo, who do you want to see on Sunday against Atlanta? <laughs> Jeffrey. <laughs> um, 
I think just he's more athletic and more mobile than uh, than Marcelo is, and just with the frightening speed that their uh, forwards have, I, I want somebody just a little more athletic to maybe try and uh, hustle hustle his butt off to try and intercept some of that. But it's it's frightening See, either I, way. I lean the other way. I want Marcelo. I'm with Jason on this one. Against Atlanta, I want Marcelo, someone who's not going to pass the ball to the wrong team in our own third. Yeah, I mean, there's a Fair. strong argument to be and made either way. Because like Ben says, you know, yeah, Atlanta's got a lot of quick players, so they're going to be pulling whoever's there around quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, it'll yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup for for whoever's in that spot. Um, and I think we'll we'll see Ian Harks potentially playing a little deeper like we've seen the last few weeks. Uh, I think we'll see him playing, you know, almost as a, you know, a defensive eight like Marcelo was in this game. Uh, Almost a 4-2-3-1. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. And uh, we'll talk about this game with Atlanta coming up with Rob Usry right after this. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, the time has come for history and in Major League Soccer. For the first time in this league, United will face United. Uh, and it'll happen at Bobby Dodd Stadium, of all places, down in Atlanta, uh, where, where the interlopers from the Dirty South are coming up. And to talk with us, who better than Rob Usry from Dirty South Soccer? Rob, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, our first question to you has to be, what are you drinking? I have a root beer, Barg's root beer in my hand right now. Excellent. I believe that's a Coke product. So that's, that's exactly what you should be drinking down in Atlanta. I don't tell people, but I kind of prefer Pepsi, but we don't, we don't want to tell anybody that on the internet these days. Your secret's safe with us. Um, just no one listens to the show. Yeah. I, I mean, if you're in a protest situation, Pepsi is definitely the the beverage that you want to hand over to the cops. So, I think I think you're safe there. Let's let's talk about Atlanta United. Um, 
last time you were on the show, we, we talked about their off season, which was a, a huge off season. I know it had you really optimistic came into the year. Uh, had a couple of big results right now. Um, doing pretty well, 11 points from, from seven games, but not leading the East, not setting the league on fire. Uh, how are you feeling at, at this point? Do you think that that, that sh- reflects kind of the level that Atlanta is, or do you think that they, they will set the league on fire? Yeah, I think if you look at them, the recent, the recent schedule, it's been, it's been extremely tough. Four straight home games with three of those being last year's from last year's conference finals. So that's a, that's a pretty tough stretch. And to take five points from those four games to come back home, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where Atlanta United sits right now. And I'm, I'm pretty optimistic for the future that once the schedule starts balancing out and we start getting guys back from injury, then it's going to turn around and we're going to shoot up the standings, I think. One of those guys you're missing right now, Joseph Martinez, who uh, was was scoring for fun early in the year. Um, when's he due back, and and how has the team been been making up for his absence? So the initial diagnosis was four to six weeks. We're about on the four four week mark, and so far we haven't seen him training at all. And the only updates, official updates we've gotten, is he's they have a timetable for his return, which isn't they don't really reveal much. They're very secretive about this type of stuff. So I'm expecting going back maybe two weeks, maybe for the Portland match in a couple of weeks. Um, in his absence, we've we've had several different looks. We started out with sort of a, a makeshift front line with Tito Vijaba switching from winger to, to striker leading the line. He scored a few a couple goals in that formation, but then we then we switched back to or to a, a more traditional formation with Kenwin Jones finally getting a chance to start up top by himself. He's been okay and up top by himself. He's kind of he, he doesn't really fit Tata Martino's system. He slows down the, the game, and overall, it's just a balance. We, we don't ex- know what to expect going in each week. It, it could be either or, and we really don't know what's going to happen going into DC. So, Rob uh, Miguel Amaron was the first like really big signing for Atlanta United, and he. Uh, has started off on fire and seems like he's still doing really well. Uh, how how have you felt about the, uh, the the number 10 for Atlanta United? And do you think he can take it up even a step higher than he has so far this season? I've been extremely impressed with Miguel Almiron. He's, he's become one of my favorite players and pretty much the favorite player of, of every Atlanta United, fa- Atlanta United fan. In my opinion, he's already become one of the top maybe five or six or seven players in the league already and has the potential to become, you know, one of the top two or three and maybe an impossible MVP candidate as long as he stays in the league, which at this rate might not be very long because he's very young, very talented, and he's going to have some interest from Europe soon. Uh, moving to the, uh, the, even though their future is still so short, moving to the future of Atlanta United, uh, everybody has heard about Andrew Carlton, uh, who was signed at such a young age for Atlanta United, and uh, he didn't have a great game in the U.S. U-17s. He got he got pulled off, and then the U-17s pulled off a really great stretch of goals, and it looks like he's going to be benched. Uh, when do you expect to see him actually play for Atlanta United? Uh, is it going to be like DC United's U-17, Chris Durkin, where it's probably not going to be until uh, next year, or do you think he can still make an impact this year? 
I would be extremely shocked if we don't see him on the field sometime this year. I wouldn't read too much into the U-17 performance. He did, aside from the missed penalty, I didn't think he played too badly. And I don't it was know a bad say. penalty, though. It was a really bad it, penalty. It, I mean, all, all penalties that are saved, most of them are going to be called a bad penalty, but if it goes in, we're saying, oh, what a great goal. So, I don't think that's actually true. Yeah, I mean, I still think we're going to see him this year. As soon as, okay. the, as soon as the U-17 tournament's over, he's going to come back. He's going to... Make the, he made the bench one time this year, and then coincidentally, once he left, we had an injury and a red card, and he probably could have got some time then, but that's just how how the cookie crumbles. But eventually, he's going to get some some time this year, and I, I'm, I'm pretty excited for him overall for the future. And then my last question is about uh, the stadium. Uh, it was originally supposed to open with Atlanta United, and now it looks like it's going to open with a an American football team opening the, the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, how do you all feel about that in Atlanta United land? Yeah, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty sour about that. Um, it, it was looking good that Atlanta United and would open the stadium against Orlando, and that would be the big show. And then the latest delay happened, and pretty much everybody's upset about it, and the season ticket holders have kind of put up a fuss and there's been some online petitions as 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 anything that happens controversial you see those pop up so that's not news um overall it's just a sour situation and once once the stadium finally opens and maybe we are in the playoff hunt at the end of the season hopefully all that blows over and we're not talking about it again do you think a novel retractable roof situation like they're planning down there is worth this kind of delay because that's this is the third or fourth delay, I think, just from that roof system. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, five or ten years down the line, it might be a, a very interesting perk on a on a world class stadium with all the major sporting events that they're planning on hosting. But it it looks really bad right now in the short short term. But once you get past this little rocky stage, I just don't think it's an issue. Uh, Rob, I'll go back to the the Atlanta roster right now one player that has really impressed me especially because he didn't get nearly as much attention as Almiron or um, Martinez um, Yamil Assad was brought in on loan uh, kind of under the under the radar but has immediately become a crucial player for Atlanta he scored uh, this past weekend he's I think that's his third goal if I'm not mistaken I don't have that in front of me but um, he's been really good. Uh, what does he bring to the table on a team that already has plenty of attacking weapons? Yeah, I've been I've been extremely impressed with Emil Assad. It was funny that all the all the reaction from from fans in Argentina when the when the rumors were flying that he was coming to Atlanta, even from fans of his own team, they just they absolutely hated his guts to say to say it honestly. It was it was it was it was amazing all the things they were saying and. We were expecting the worst that he was like some bad team player, but once he found well, the first game that he actually played, he scored an amazing goal against uh, Chattanooga in the friendly. And every ever since then, he's just been a perfect team player. He's got incredible. He's got good technical ability. He's not the paciest of players, but he's 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 that important player you need on the field that's always going to keep the the play moving and and is that reliable player that can hold on to the ball and make a good pass and even score a goal occasionally and. 
the the player salaries dropped today, and he's only making like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And I'd say that's a, a pretty pretty big bargain for what he's added to the team. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's been one of the better as far as like value signings. Not the obvious like spent millions of dollars to get the guy signings. He's been one of the best uh, value moves anyone made, in my opinion, at least. Um, I guess the the other question that when I look at Atlanta and I thought this during the preseason as well, it hasn't come quite as much as I thought, but if there's a vulnerability on this team, it's definitely the defensive side of the ball. Um, what are they doing to sort of shield a defense that just isn't quite as talented as that, that attack is? That was, that was the sentiment going into the season, but we've, we've all been completely shocked by how, how well the defense has gelled and played together. I would, I would have to disagree that they're not, well, they're, well, they're definitely not as talented as the attack, but they're definitely not a, a hindrance of any kind. Uh, I've been especially surprised by Michael Parkhurst. I thought maybe he would be behind it, behind it in his career. He's, he's getting up there in age, but he's been, he's been the, the captain and the leader and he hasn't put a foot wrong for, or a, a foot wrong yet, but the most impressive player to me has been Leandro Gonzalez Perez. We didn't know much about him coming in after they bought him from Estudiantes in Argentina, but he's just been the rock. He's incredibly talented. He makes occasional mistakes, but he always makes up for it in some way. And he's he's already becoming one of the best defenders in MLS, in my opinion. And that's he's the reason why the defense has outperformed everybody's expectations. Yeah, when I when I watch him, and there was a play that you guys. Um made a uh, made sure to spread around as a gif um i think i think it was you guys um the interception he had where he ended up carrying the ball past like two different players into the midfield and then springing in attack um there was a lot of laurent simon uh to that play and it's not often that we talk about defenders in mls like that um uh, because i mean simon is a starter with belgium um and gonzalez Perez is just a guy that like you said kind of an unknown sign from the argentine league it was sort of a you know, not. I think when he was signed, it wasn't even 100% clear whether he was uh, going to be a center back or maybe he could play defensive midfield. I remember seeing something like that. Um, and instead, he's turned out to be um, a really impressive addition to that team and also kind of helps the way they, they want to play by passing uh, out of the back. He's a much more skillful center back than most of the guys around MLS. Um, I guess my final question comes down to um, someone that, that I've been paying attention to because I mock drafted him for DC United. Um, how has Julian Gressel been doing? I know he's taken a starting job, but what are your thoughts on him overall? Yeah, he started off really, really strong. He surprised all of us by by getting that starting spot in the first few games. He, everybody expected Chris McCann to come in and be the starter because he was a veteran in England and the championship and even the Premier League a little bit, but Gressel won the starting job. Started off really well in the first few games. He was a bulldozer in the midfield. He could make great attacking runs, opening up tons of space. But then the last few games, he's really, really tapered off. He's got, he's been turning the ball over a lot. I'm not sure if it's just the the opposing teams figuring him out or he's just having a few off games. He lost his starting job in the last game. I don't see him starting again against DC until there's a mishap or some some trouble in the midfield. But he is a he is a talented player. He's very big. He's versatile. He's he's perfect for a late game substitute like he was in the last game. He helped set up the the clinching goal and, and stoppage time. I'm I'm not down on him at all. But I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that over well, he'll find his form again and be an impact player down the road. So one guy I had tipped as maybe the underrated acquisition of the offseason for Atlanta United was Carlos Carmona, uh, who I thought could shield that back line and help help paper over some of the deficiencies that, that we thought they would be having at the back. How important has he been to to the team this year? And is he is he as important a piece as some, namely me, had pegged him to be? Yeah, he's been he's been pretty important. Honestly, I, if you would have told me I would have said this or a couple of months ago, I would have said you were crazy. But Jeff Lorena went has been even more important. Just he's sorry, been, sorry, he's, sorry. You you said words, and I understood all the words that you said, <laughs> but the order in which you said them doesn't make any sense. Do you mind saying yeah. it again, just so I can maybe understand it? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's hard to believe because he didn't play pretty much any at all for LA Galaxy last year. But Jeff Lorenowitz has been almost as important as Carlos Carmona. Both of them together in the defensive midfield have been have been really well have been working really well together. I think in the end, Carmona will be the most important player in the defensive midfield spot. But it's, uh, Lorenowitz has surprised us all to be as effective as he is. I thought it was just a lost cause. He'd play a couple sparing minutes here and there, but he's been a really impactful player so far in the midfield. So last question. If you were standing across from Tata in the technical area and you had to game plan against Atlanta United, where would you be focusing? What would you be sure not to do? And what would you be trying to do? I would press as hard as you can. Atlanta United loves to press. You have to press them right back. And we saw this against Toronto and, Toronto pressed the heck out of Atlanta, and they could not do. They could not get the ball out of their own end. They were completely suffocated, and they were forced to change their game plan to hitting it over the top. And that's how they scored the equalizer for or with Tito Vijalba. Um, you have to press them. You have to suffocate them. Don't give them time on the ball. Uh, hopefully, they're not listening to this, and they just play casually and sit back and let us pick them apart. But that's doubtful. But. That's definitely how you uh, beat Atlanta is press them and make them uncomfortable. All right, Rob, thanks for thanks for your honesty and thanks for coming back on the show. Um, we love having you. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, find me on Twitter at, at Rob Ushery. Uh, please follow the blog if you're at all interested in Atlanta United at Dirty South Sock SOC. And hopefully it's a good game on Sunday or Sunday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Music, or Google Play, rather, um, and the, the podcatcher or software of your choice. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show next time you're at the soccer bar. And we'll talk to you real soon. For Ben and Jason and thanking Rob, one more time, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. I'm so broken and old. Goodbye. Every movie starring you And the world will turn to flowing pink papers too Hi, I'm Adam Taylor.
You may know me from such podcasts as Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, or no, really, it's just Filibuster. In fact, you're listening to the end of an episode of Filibuster in this little blue marble rolling around the sun. You find yourself here with me. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. And I'm going to be even happier, and I hope you will be even happier. Because we've got some exciting news coming just down the pike here at Filibuster. So uh, stick around. We have exciting news, and we hope you'll join us on what comes next. Goodbye. <laughs>